invite you to open God's Word with me this morning to the book of Psalms, Psalm 72, as we continue our Advent series, Songs for Christmas, looking at Psalms for Advent. Let me encourage you, if you were not able to come last night uh, and gather here for What Child Is This?, a Christmas celebration presented by uh, the choirs and orchestra of Meadowbrook Baptist Church, as well as First Baptist Church of Birmingham, to join us tonight. Uh, at First Baptist Birmingham on Lakeshore Drive, uh, our music ministries have uh, worked uh, tremendously you know, toward this and did an exceptional job last night. The Lord used that presentation. I think He will again tonight. No, He will tonight. So if you can and you haven't been able to attend, we encourage you to come and be a part of that. Well, this last um, week, uh, many folks gathered and they remembered the life and celebrated the life of one of the presidents of our nation, George H.W. Bush, the 41st president of the United States. And uh, during such a time, it's appropriate for us uh, to ask, what does God desire for government? What is his plan? What is his desire uh, for governments? How, do, how does uh, he expect presidents and kings and other representatives to lead? What are God's marks of success? How should we, as citizens of this nation, as citizens of Alabama, how should we pray for President Trump? How should we pray for Governor Ivey? How should we pray for one of our own, Representative Mooney and other government officials? Remember Paul's words recorded in First Timothy to young Timothy. He said in First Timothy chapter 2, he said, pray for all people. Then he said, pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. He says, this is good and pleases God our Savior. Our psalm text for this morning is a song and it's a prayer. Specifically, it's a prayer for the king, the king of Israel. It's a prayer for the king to represent God well. To lead the people, to to lead the nation, to lead the nation of Israel according to God's character and according to God's expectations. And so as you hear this text, as you hear Psalm 72 read, I want you to keep in mind that it's a prayer. That it's most likely a a dedicatory prayer that would have been read, that would have been prayed, that perhaps would have been sung at the coronation of, of a king. So you find your place in God's word. Psalm 72, if you're using a pew Bible, you can find this text on page 468. Let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. The psalmist writes, Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. 
May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him. And they will call him blessed. Praise Praise be be to to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. Let's bow together. And Lord God, we do gather and pause this morning to thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for being a God who speaks to us, Lord, who continues to speak to us. We thank you that your word is alive and active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. Father, we do pray that it would penetrate our souls, that it would penetrate our hearts, that it would penetrate our minds, our lives this morning, as your spirit works now through the preaching of your word. Lord, instruct us, guide us, shape us, change us for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The church, you may be seated. If you look at this text in uh, your Bible, you may notice that it uh, has a heading, as some of the Psalms do. And this particular heading uh, reads this way. It says, of Solomon, which can mean either from Solomon or for Solomon. And given the editor's note in verse 20 that this concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse, this may well be a prayer from David For his son Solomon's reign. This would make Solomon uh, the crown prince. The royal son mentioned in verse 1. In fact the content of this particular text. Of this particular psalm. Recalls Solomon's own prayer for wisdom. Recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3. He asked the Lord to give him wisdom. And so the Lord did. And in some ways the content of this text. Uh, d- recalls various descriptions and, and blessings that were evident in Solomon's own life, in his own reign, uh, in his own kingdom over Israel. So this text provides a poetic portrait of God's ideal king, giving several marks of such a man. And the first mark, according to God's word here, is justice. God's king must rule with God's justice. God's king is expected to, to rule, to reign, to exercise his authority according to God's justice. God desires his earthly representatives to lead with justice. And not just anyone's definition of justice, God's kind of justice. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. If we were to continue reading the psalm several times, we're going to do that this morning. It's a, a lengthy 
text, but the more times we read it, the more evident the focus uh, on justice and righteousness would uh, would stand out. That's because these are these are important to God. God is a God who values justice. He's a God who values uh, righteousness or, or right living, right decisions, and He expects those who represent Him to to reflect the things that He values. Alan Ross notes: If the King is God's representative, He must think like God. Or put another way, uh, the King's actions are to be an extension of God's actions. And so this particular psalm echoes God's call throughout the scriptures to show justice to everyone, paying particular attention to the poor and the needy, those who are most likely uh, to suffer injustice. Of course, on this, we would do well to note our Lord Jesus Christ's continual association with the downtrodden, with the outcasts, with the poor, with the needy, In fact, listen to God's instructions for His people as they prepare to enter into the promised land recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning in verse 7. God said to them, He instructed them, He said, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Verse 10, he continues, he says, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. He says, There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. See, according to this text, poor are more than just the poor. They are, verse 2, referred to here as As God's people, God's afflicted ones. And so God promised his people here that if they practice generosity, if they practice hospitality, if they executed justice for the poor among them, then he would bless the work that they put their hands to. Of course, that blessing recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 15 fits the theme and the message of this psalm. It fits the prayer of Psalm 72. Notice how justice for the hurting and prosperity in the land are inextricably bound together in David's prayer. Verse 3, he prays, May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. He's describing a rich and bountiful land, blessing upon the land. Verse 4, May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. In other words, those who crush the afflicted. God's king must rule with God's justice. And we see here that God's king will receive greater dominion as he cares for the oppressed. God's king will receive greater dominion as he cares for the oppressed. This is the direction in which the text begins to turn, particularly in verses 8 and following. So essentially, the people of Israel seem to pray here, May your king, O God who is over us, receive recognition and submission from rulers and nations in the east and in the west, uh, from as far as the Euphrates River in the north down to the nomadic tribes in the desert and even from the ends of the earth as we now know it. Lord, expand his kingdom because he cares for the afflicted and the needy. Expand his kingdom because he represents you well. 
This one commentator noted, according to the theology of this psalm, power is to be achieved not by grasping for the most, but by caring for the least. That certainly is a countercultural measure of leadership success, isn't it? Can you imagine elevating a particular award in college football for the one who demonstrates the most Christ-like character and concern for teammates and opponents, elevating such a position over even the Heisman Trophy. What if the NCAA came out and said, next year we're not going to have a Heisman Trophy. We're simply going to honor the one who cares most for others on the football field. It would be an outcry. We, we wouldn't like that. Well, we're okay honoring that person, but we want somebody who's a goal. We want somebody who's successful the way the world defines success, but God's king will receive greater dominion as he cares for the oppressed. And we see here that God's king must prompt eternal praise for God. God's king, if he's to be faithful to the Lord, if he's to represent the Lord well, must prompt eternal praise for God. Verse 15, long may he live is the prayer. Verse 17, may his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun, which of course is to say forever and ever and ever. But notice, this is not simply for his own sake. This is not simply for the sake and the reputation and the legacy of the king. This is for the sake of God's reputation. Verse 19, praise be to God's glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. See, God's king, or God's representative, God's earthly ruler, rules in such a way that he prods people to praise God, the ultimate king. So the ultimate test for success of any earthly ruler is if he or she leads in such a way as to point others to the greatness of God. People and and crops flourish under this type of king, and through his reign, people also come to know the one true God. The truth is that King Solomon, real king, David's son, a real king in Israel's history, did have an impressive reign as the king of Israel. Listen to these descriptions of his reign. This text is not on the screen. This comes from 1 Kings chapter 4. Listen to the success that King Solomon experienced. It says, And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms, from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. It says, these countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subjects all his life. That chapter goes on to say, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. And so if this was originally a prayer for Solomon's reign, it must have made a difference. If we read it through that lens, it it was a successful prayer. God heard it and he blessed Solomon's reign. But even so, you know this, Solomon in all his splendor still died. He died. Solomon died. In fact... He didn't endure as long as the sun, verse 5. He didn't rule to the ends of the earth, verse 8. All nations didn't serve him, verse 11. 
And after his death, the kingdom of Israel became an absolute mess. His son, Rehoboam, assumed the throne, and once he did, ten of the twelve tribes rebelled against him, and before long the kingdom split. In fact, the last Davidic king went into Babylonian exile in 586 B.C. No more kings from David's house. All nations were not blessed through him, verse 17. Or were they? You see, here we have a a clear allusion to God's covenant words with Father Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, he said, and I will bless you. God said, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. A, A promise given long before there was an Israelite king, yet a promise that must be fulfilled through an Israelite king. And when King, when king David wanted to build a, a temple, a, a permanent house for God, the Lord said to him, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, He said, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. God said, I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And indeed, Solomon is the one who built... The temple. A house for God's name. Verse 14, I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod welded by men and floggings inflicted by human hands. He says, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Verse 16, your house and your kingdom, David, will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So says the Lord. You see, God promised David an eternal kingdom through his own lineage. And David prayed as much for his own son Solomon. He prayed what he had been promised. And yet, the kingdom fell. Did God lie? Is this prayer simply wishful thinking? How could exiles pray this prayer? How could exiles pray Psalm 72 in light of their defeat? And here's how. They look to the future. They look to the future praying for the fulfillment of these promises, praying for the fulfillment of Genesis 12 and 2 Samuel 7. They prayed for a Davidic king who would be their Messiah. And nearly six centuries later, you know the story, after the fall of Jerusalem, he came. The true Davidic king arrived. The angel showed up and she spoke. And the angel spoke to to young Mary and said in Luke chapter 1, verse 33, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Friends, God's king came. He has come. The true and the greatest Davidic ruler has arrived. And though he didn't live in a palace or sit on a throne, his ministry bore marks of God's righteousness and marks of God's justice. Of deliverance for the poor and help for the afflicted. Remember John the Baptist, this forerunner of Christ, this prophet and preacher who went about calling people to repent for the kingdom of God was at hand, preparing the way for the Lord. Well, John got in some trouble because he 
was faithful to God's call. And he ended up being arrested, ultimately losing his life. But while he's in prison, he hears about the works of Jesus. The scriptures say that John sent his disciples to ask Jesus a question, to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? In other words, are you the Messiah that we've been waiting on? Jesus replied, Matthew chapter 11, verse 4. He says, go back. Go back and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Marks of God's kingdom. Hope for the hurting. Peace and justice for the poor. Jesus fulfilled the prayer of Psalm 72, verses 12 and following, for Jesus will deliver the needy who cry out. He delivered the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in His sight. Now church, this is what we celebrate during the season of Advent. This is why we gather together and open these ancient words of life. This is a Christmas song worth singing. Christ Jesus has come and He has brought justice and peace and hope and healing. And yet I don't have to convince you this morning that the world is not at peace. His dominion is not yet felt and experienced and realized to the ends of the earth. But soon it will be. Friends, soon it will be. His kingdom has already come, but it is not yet fully realized. But it will be when the true Davidic king comes again. For us to sing this psalm, for us to sing Psalm 72 today, is for us to pray that Christ's kingdom would become a full and felt reality on earth. It is for us to pray that God would spread peace across the earth through His righteous king. Pray that God would spread peace across the earth through His righteous King. The kind of peace, the kind of shalom, the kind of prosperity, the kind of justice, the kind of righteousness that's described in Psalm 72. At the second advent of Christ, all kings will bow down to Him. Verse 11. For Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, God has exalted Him to the highest place. God has given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we pray. We pray that God would spread peace across the earth through his righteous king. Church, he has, he is, and he will. He will. He will in a way that is fully realized and experienced by all those who submit to Him now and serve Him here. When Jesus returns, He will establish God's perfect and peaceable kingdom to the ends of the earth. A glorious kingdom described in God's Word this way. Revelation chapter 21, verse verse 23. A city that does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light... And the Lamb, the Lamb of God is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. 
church during Advent, we reflect on Christ's coming to establish God's kingdom, and we pray for His second coming to spread His peaceable kingdom to the ends of the earth. With Psalm 72, we are invited to pray earnestly for the coming of Christ. We pray earnestly for the coming of Jesus Christ. If we're to apply the message and the truths of this psalm, the promises of God that have been fulfilled in the first coming of Christ, will be further fulfilled in the second coming of Christ, the return of our Lord, then we must pray earnestly for the coming of of Jesus Christ. For to do so is to pray for true peace and justice on earth that will only come with the coming of Christ our King. The one who taught us to pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our ascended Savior promised in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, He said, yes, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. And His people respond. They say in response, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Psalm 72 instructs us to pray earnestly for the coming of Christ, but that's not the only application of its message. We also ought to pray for our earthly rulers. Pray for earthly rulers. We ought to be people who, who pray for kings, who pray for presidents, and all those in positions of leadership and authority that they may lead us in ways that reflect the character of God. But church also means that we ought to pray for the administration of God's social justice. We ought to be people who pray for the administration or dispersing of God's standard of social justice. I'm not interested this morning in harmful and unhealthy debate about the term social justice. I know that's a bit of a buzzword today, but the truth is God is interested in social justice. He cares deeply about the unborn, and so must we. God cares deeply about orphans, and so must we. God cares deeply about victims of exploitation and abuse, and so must we. He cares deeply about refugees, and so must we. He cares deeply about immigrants, and so must we. He cares about people from every race and nationality, and so must we. We must pray for just societies on earth that reflect the character and the grace of the one and only living God. Friends, we pray that God would spread peace on earth through the righteous King. Through His righteous King. A peace that will not be realized here until He returns, but a peace that we're called to embody and proclaim until then. In fact, as I prepare to close this morning, let me invite you to turn to the New Testament with me. Turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. We'll close there. Luke is the author of Acts, and Luke records the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. He records Acts to to account, a historical account of uh, the growth of the church, the establishment of the church, and the spread of the gospel. But the very first chapter of, of Acts, he describes a scene between Jesus and his disciples, where Jesus instructs them, where Jesus encourages them, and then where Jesus ascends into heaven from them. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, we read, On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with His disciples, He gave them this command. He said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift of My Father, 
wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. It says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, and they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Translation, Jesus, are, are you going to reign on earth right now? Is this really happening? Are you going to set up your kingdom, your peaceable and eternal kingdom now on the throne here? Jesus responds, verse 7, he says, it's not for you to know. Not for you to know the, the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And tells us, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He goes on, verse 9, uh, Luke says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you now into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Friends, Jesus Christ will return. He will come again. He will return with power and authority, bringing peace to all those who know him. But until that day, until our Lord, until our Savior, until Jesus Christ returns, we Christians are called to practice the priorities of God. Practice the priorities of God. It's another way that we can apply this text. We can live for him. We're called to live for him. We're called to represent him here. For the New Testament says that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We're called to value what he values. We're called to to love and care for people like he loves and cares for people. We're called to represent him, to witness to his glory. He said, but you will be my witnesses. You're going to witness to me here and across this earth until I return. You're serving as a faithful witness to the glory of God's king. Are you pointing others to the greatness of the ultimate Davidic ruler, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one who reigns on high? Are you prompting people by the way that you live and the things that you say and the things that you do to to praise the one true living God? How can we, how can we witness to the glory of God's king this Christmas? How can we be faithful to that end? For us to truly apply this text, to take it to heart, to live according to it, we need to wrestle with that question. May the Spirit work in our lives in a way that causes us to prompt others to praise the one and only Almighty God and the King who will return. May we begin by submitting to Him. Let's bow together. And Father, we submit to You now express our devotion to you. We acknowledge your grace and your mercy. Your presence and your patience with us. Lord, you are faithful. You are always faithful to your promises. And Lord, we thank you for your plan this morning that is recounted through your word. That This plan of redemption that we have surveyed small pieces of, Lord, that comes to fulfillment and fruition in the birth of a Savior and the life of a perfect man who gave his life 
as the perfect sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for our sins, that you might forgive us and still execute justice. Father, we thank you for his triumphant resurrection from the dead. We thank you for his promise to return. We thank you for the gift of your spirit that works in our lives until then. Father, may you work among us. May we represent you well. Father, we do pray for Christ's soon return. We pray for a peaceable and eternal kingdom where perfect justice will be exercised. Father, we thank you for the privilege of knowing you, of bowing before you. Lord, I pray that this morning we would respond to the King of kings and Lord of lords, that we would respond to you, that we would be faithful. Father, I pray that we would bow before you. I pray that we would live for you. I pray that you would be on our minds and our hearts, the object of our worship and praise now and always. Father, it's in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, that we pray. Amen.